When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. How's it going, everybody? Welcome again to Knife Talk Podcast. I am Mareko Malmasi, and as always, I'm here with Mr. Craig Lockwood, the illustrious Mr. Craig Lockwood of Chop Knives. And usually we're here with Jeff Fader, but he's got an ass, bla- ass blasting? Sorry, sand bl- <laughs> sand, <laughs> sand blasting yeah, he's uh, his issue. He's blasted at the moment. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, it's not I, normally a problem for us. Normally that's a Wednesday night for him, his ass blasting. Right. But, um, yeah, yeah, he had to move it, it, it this It just week. got slightly delayed. So, yeah, Thursday morning, Thursday afternoon we're recording. And Anyways, we're here <laughs> to give each other a hard time, whether it's on purpose or on accident. Uh, we're here to answer questions, work through your dilemma, dilemmas, help you troubleshoot your knife making. Um, yeah, just all the stuff you got going on knife making. And... You know, it's a podcast for makers of all varieties, as well as just people just generally interested. So thank you for joining us. And uh, I would like to kick it off by asking Mr. Craig how the last week has been, sir. Um, okay, I can't, I can't complain. I launched quite a big project that I've been working on for some time, non-knife related. Um, sure. um, well, it's, it's a music festival. Um, and um, yeah, and it's, it's, it seems to be received quite well. So I'm, I'm pretty pleased. Um, and we're sort of releasing an artist a day. And once once we got our full lineup released, then we release the tickets. We're sort of teasing teasing things up a little ah, bit, and yeah. um, it's good. It's all all my favourite music from the nineties, basically all those bands. So um, it's good, but it's just been hectic dealing with like agents of people. Okay, so they're... you're an organizer. You're not just like excited about this thing. No, I'm doing it. This is this is my thing. This is whoa, yeah. that's crazy. Okay. Yeah. Right. So, I guess yeah. like, you used to do a lot more organizing and coordinating of large events like this. Exactly. Yeah. It was it was in the de- sort of design world previously. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah. So sort of using the context I have in the music business to put on a music festival and um, dealing with uh, like agents of artists who think they're far more important than they are <laughs> is oh man, it's just been it's been a struggle. And it's like, again, like urgent written on the top of an email. You open it and, then, and it's just like something pathetic, you know? And it's just like, oh man. They're all, all arguing over who's going to be top billing. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, you know, there's a transaction happening here. We're paying you to come and play, you know, leave yeah. everything else to us kind of thing, you know? Right. And oh man, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's been a bit Egos. of a headache. But Ego's flying. It yes. Like a little bit. But we're over the line. We've got everybody signed contracts and now it's just, yeah, releasing stuff ready to get tickets out, really. That's great. Dude, that sounds so cool. I can't even imagine <laughs> where I would even where you would even start. I mean, it sounds like you got contacts uh in the music yeah, industry, yeah. but holy shit, to organize a music festival. And where is it? 
Where's it going to be? It's, when I say festival, let let's let's dampen things down a little. Um, it's 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 an indoor thing, but we we do actually have the whole venue. So we have like their courtyard, and we have food trucks, and um, so we have like a number of bars. There's a cocktail bar and all that. And we, we it's all sort of walled off, so it's all ours. Yeah. Um, but it's only fifteen hundred people, so it's not it's not massive, you know. Um, and it's really a tester event for you know, something bigger we've got in mind for next year, which will be a full-on three-day festival camping the lot, you know. Um, so it's just it's just sort of testing the waters with that, and um, yeah, no, it's fun. I'm, I'm I'm enjoying it, but it's yeah, it's it's a different world, and you've got a lot of egos, and it, not so much the art. The artists have been great. It's their fucking agents who are an absolute nightmare. Absolute nightmare. Well, isn't that the agent's job though? Is to be the asshole. Because they're, so. they're, you know, they're trying to earn their whatever, 3 or 10% or whatever, right? Up to 20%, I believe, on oh. some with some people. Yeah. And that's exactly what they're doing. They're just trying to show some, some sort of value. But they're just getting in the way. Like, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's yeah a bit of a pain. Sweet but, Jesus. but that's really sort of, that's been my whole week, really. Um, gearing up for the gearing up for this and the sort of starting to release acts so that's very cool so, yeah. I, I just saw that you posted about uh one of the first acts uh or just not one of the first acts but just one of the first artists that you yeah uh, so announced. we've done two so far and we're going to do okay. one a day for the next eight days I like got eight, eight bands playing it's, it's like an all day thing um which is yeah it's gonna be cool uh, and where did you say that this is? Is this happening in Wales or is this in, in Car in Cardiff? Yes, okay. where the the town I'm from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you it's, want it's, this to become like Cardiff Woodstock? No, well, not <laughs> quite. So this this is in the city, um, but um, I've got uh, no. It's it, but basically it's going to be in the countryside. A bit a big festival. Okay. That's 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 the plan. Long term plan. Next okay. year onwards. Yeah, that yeah. sounds like fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm getting just to indulge myself by just booking all the bands that I enjoyed myself in the nineties, you know? And you know, that's the kind of that's the music I'm into, so it it is it is quite cool. Yeah. Well cool. and, and so all right, so there's music, there's food, there's drink. Are there gonna be also like booths of for merch or artisans or Yes, yes. Uh, well no for merch for the for the artists basically. Okay. Um yeah. And that that's a that's a big part of their revenue, these you know, for for artists, merchants, stuff like that. So sure. it was part of all of their contracts, they all had, you know, we need we need a stand for our merch and stuff. It's like, yeah, so we're we're sort of manning a stand and everybody put their merch on there so they don't have to, you know, get their hands dirty kind of thing. Yeah. But it's you know all these little things you need to think of you know and uh, yeah it's I, I don't know it's fun it's just taken up a lot more time than I thought it would but it's been fun and this has been going on for weeks and weeks this isn't something that you know just this week happened um, this has been going on for months in the back in the sort of background but now I can finally talk about it because now I release we're telling people who the artists are when we're suddenly you know getting email addresses ready for the uh, the big ticket launch yeah that's super exciting and like you said you you've done this before um, with tech and stuff and organizing big events. But this is your first music event. It is organizing yes. like this. It is. So it's, it's, I'm doing it with with a friend. So Nick, who produced my single, um, who uh, produced a lot of these Britpop bands back in the '90s, all the Oasis stuff, the Storm Roses stuff, and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Uh, we've become pretty good buddies. So um, we're doing it together. So it's sort of his contacts in the industry and my oh, experience smart. running running big events. Yeah. And, um, and it seems to be working. It's just a you know a fifty fifty split of both the work and any sort of profit. So yeah, it seems to be working well. That's exciting. I'm pumped for you. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. It's yeah. It's just every time my email pings, I'm like, what the hell is this now? You know. But uh, no, it's all good. It's all good. 
nice. So your week, what's been going on in Morocco's world? In Sword World, you still on swords? Sword World, yeah, oh yeah. Uh, playing with swords nonstop. Uh, <laughs> I am continuing to make progress on some of the pattern elements, um, and and I, I had a really good. So uh, today, when we do the record the podcast, um, is usually a pretty ba- busy day lined up with a business meeting and then we do the recording and then we usually have other stuff planned in the afternoon with the family. Mm. And, um, and so, uh, I had a good chat with the wife, just trying to figure out what the direction is. I'm trying to go with this whole sword thing. Mm. Um, did anybody reach out last week after uh, you saying that you know you, you want to find some yeah. links with museums that kind of thing? Sure, yeah, we, I definitely did find a, or I, I got a couple messages from um, folks trying to help, which is very, uh, very much appreciated. Thank you. Um, and <clears throat> just to recap, uh, if you didn't hear last week's episodes, basically I'm working on these ancient Roman sword patterns um, that haven't that were unearthed about 180 years ago in Denmark. Nobody's been able to figure out how to make those patterns until now um, through me. And so I'm figuring out how, like, what to do with this knowledge, basically. And, and do I work with an archaeologist or ar- art historian? Or I don't know who the hell I would work mm. with to figure out um, how to share this understanding in a meaningful way. Um, yeah. Yeah, and so that's what people have been messaging about, um, and so and that's what the conversation today was about. Because I would again, I would love to get work into some of these museums. Uh, there are at least two I am aware of, but pro- probably more where some of these swords are housed. And often, especially like uh, back when the Ulfbert sword, back in I think it was 2011, with Rick Fuhrer, um came out. Um, it was like a Nova presentation, and it was about the Ulfbert swords, which were these Viking Age swords, but they were made from uh, crucible steel from Indonesia and talking about the whole oh. trade route and all the process and everything that went into it and trying to really understand because these swords were like the pinnacle of Viking swords, the most high-performance Viking swords mm. uh, at the time. And so for these Roman patterns or these Ro- Roman swords with these unique mosaic patterns on them, these were like the pinnacle of sword blade ornamentation. It, there was like a new technology and, and process and s- techniques that were developed just to make these very specific swords for really, honestly, a very short period of time before then they were basically um, shoved out by more high-performance steel like the, like the crucible steels that the Ulfbert swords and stuff were being made from. It's just right, better yeah. steel. And like these, Dama- these mosaic Damascus swords, like it's, hard, it's taking long enough for me to do this on my own with modern tools and technology. I cannot even imagine how many people <laughs> yeah. and how much material and how much time it would have taken for them to do this in ancient Rome. But they also, you know, they were a machine for fucking sure, and so they probably had a way of figuring that out. Yeah, yeah. So you yeah. know, I could I could oh, see ahead. this being like a like a short Netflix series, or even like a like a like a YouTube channel of you know really high quality videos where mm-hmm. you're explaining this kind of thing, as well as you know interspersing with footage of how it's being made and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I imagine historians would be losing their shit over that. Well, I think it would be really cool, and I think that's what the conversation with my wife was today. It was like, what are we really trying to accomplish with this? Like, are, yeah. what is the story? we're trying to tell how how is this meaningful to anybody 
in general and then yeah, yeah. figuring out how to tell that story um and also to do a bit more research to get like solid resources and references uh spe specifically to you know more scientifically based like archaeological articles and stuff based in history and whatnot and just kind of marrying all those different um aspects of history together to then tell the story of these blades basically mm. and so yeah. we're figuring it out uh, I think it's still going to be a <laughs> ways down the road, especially after today's conversation. But I, I would really love to. I'm, I'm honestly like my biggest thing, my e e egotistical situation is like I've rediscovered how these swords are made. I'm mm. the first person to properly reproduce and and accomplish these techniques in almost two thousand years, and um, I just basically I just want credit. At the very yeah, least, yeah. <laughs> for yeah, figuring yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. for figuring that yeah. out, and at the same time, like part of me is like, "You small person, like, why the fuck do you even care about getting credit for this?" But at the same time, it's like it it has been a lot of like very intense thought and experimentation to figure this out. Yeah. Um, so and and so you should get credit. I mean, you yeah. know, as much as we all say we don't, everybody has got this sort of legacy that they want to leave, and this would be a hell of a legacy, sure. you know. Um, have you spoken to Alec, um, Alec Steele? Because I actually he did. had his Discovery Channel. I can imagine they'd be lapping this up. Yeah, I messaged Alec a while ago with kind of like a soft proposal of how something might be able to be put together. Um, mm. And we've messaged a little bit, but it's kind of dropped off. And so I got to reconnect with him. Uh, yeah, yeah. And see what his interest is. But. Um, but yeah, so th there are other potential resources um, that I'm looking at connecting with and talking about making possi the possibility of kind of doing this whole storytelling and presenting this in a meaningful way um, because it is very interesting. And it's, it's interesting, too, to think about, like, you know, these swords were so labor-intensive that only the absolute elite, highest-paid fancy pants warriors and generals and whoever mm. um w could have afford that afforded them because most yeah. weapons were just standard issue like a, a standard issue rifle to a military today it was just something that you know you handed back when you were done fighting or <laughs> if you died it didn't yeah. go to your family or anything it just went back to the military and it was reabsorbed and then redistributed were would these the, be like ceremonial or would they actually be used for battle? So these were actually used. These were swords that were wow. actually used. And uh, reading some of the scholarly articles written by people kind of stuttering, stut stuttering, studying the history around them, um, they, I think one of the prevailing belief or understandings of where these swords came from is that they were, they were um, kind of, spoils of war basically these mm. these tribes came down from scandinavia denmark um they fought against rome in and in some of the germanic wars and stuff against rome against rome fighting the barbarians and so when they would win they would sat or they would you know take the spoils of war and but they didn't some of the stuff I'm sure maybe some people kept, but these swords were then brought back to their homelands and they were sacrificed and destroyed. Um, mm. And so 
I don't know if it's kind of like a weird fuck you or <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. know what, but um, th- and that's some of the stuff I need to learn more about and understand. Um, but these are the kind of weapons like that the the top generals of Rome were carrying on them. Um, yeah, these weren't oh. just like the these basic dudes walking around uh, in the infantry. Like these were the upper echelon people, and so. Hmm. Uh, it's it's trying to figure out and kind of put that whole story together. And so I got a lot more research and stuff to learn and people to connect with, but I, I think yeah. it's coming together. And um, really, uh, and like I said... Stories sell. Yeah, stories sell. Well, and it, I think it yeah, is yeah. pretty intriguing because yeah, yeah, there yeah. is a massive jump. Because pattern, I, I think I said last week, pattern welding had been happening for very, like, in, especially intentional pattern welding. There was acci- kind of accidental, incidental pattern welding happening but that was hmm. it was because people were just piling all these scraps of material together and trying to weld them forge them and forge and weld them together and make something out of them yeah yeah but it was being intentionally done as far back as like 500 bc and possibly even earlier um which is a fucking long time ago <laughs> yeah, yeah oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so oh. um but it was in this very unique time where um, and, and that was happening in Celtic uh, cultures, especially mm. these pattern uh, weapons. And so then Rome comes through and absorbs these cultures. And then there's influence of Roman, basically Roman crafts and, and techniques that were, I think, picked up by some of these Celtic smiths. And there was like this interesting kind of confluence and marriage of these different um, techniques that resulted in these very unique swords that again were only made for a short period of well quote unquote short period uh you know three to four hundred years um but in the span of all of time it's a very short period oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um and then and then it was just completely dropped off until really in the last maybe five years um the swords that jamie lundell is making are probably the most similar to what those complex mosaic pattern swords were being made in ancient Rome. Hmm. So wow. So, what point are you at? Have you got to like heat treat yet? What? Where are you? Uh, I am still working. On, so I'm making elements for three swords, um, and I'm I have one sword billet almost fully uh, assembled. It's been kind of like I said. I'm uh, I've I've done a couple swords. Um, but the construction on those ones were a little bit easier than the way I'm approaching this one. And this one's a little, proving to be a little bit trickier, but I'm very close to finishing getting that billet assembled. And so once that billet is assembled, I'll forge weld everything together and then I'll forge out a, a sword blade out of it. So hopefully, uh, I th- I'm, sw- I'm sure I said last week, I'll have a sword next week, but I don't yet. <laughs> and so uh, hopefully that's happening happening sometime in the next couple weeks i don't know um and then also holly loftus is in town or in in the area she's been doing a tour around the united states and um so she's i think she's up in bellingham hanging out with bob kramer uh and then and then she's gonna do some meet some other makers and she's got a friend that she's meeting up with in seattle uh but anyway she's gonna be passing through so it'll be exciting to uh have her at the shop for a day maybe two uh to just kind of hang out and cool do whatever Very but nice. that'll be fun because yes, how yeah. often do you get somebody from 
ha- like a quarter of the way around the world to come <laughs> yeah. cruising through. So, um, but very anyway, nice. That has been my last week. Awesome, awesome. When you do come to heat treat, how are you going to heat treat? How how long are these these blades? Oh, yeah, they are long blades. The blades, uh, overall, from uh, tip to uh, tang to the end of the tang, are uh, on an average of about thirty inches. And so the blade itself uh, is typically around 26 inches or so. Mm. Um, tw- yeah, like 20, anywhere from 22 uh, to about as long as, yeah, whatever. I'm getting too specific. Anyways, 20, 27 inches. Um, some of them are really long. Some of them are really short. But I will definitely be using my even heat kill. I have, a, uh-huh. an, I have an LB27 um on end and so i'll be heat treating that vertically so pull it right out vertically and then boom right down to my quench tank and um yeah without that i would be uh in a tough spot i'd probably have to send it out somewhere (laughs) to somebody who does more sword work uh so so you're gonna set your even heat vertically and almost dip the sword in yeah so i took the door off uh got you and then i have a high temperature uh fabric whatever you call it kale wool and a couple bricks and then uh so i i have the bricks extend it yeah yeah exactly and so i have the bricks um also kind of straddling the opening of the kiln and it's just wide enough that the blade can slide through and then i have a clamp tied on or uh, like a quick Ah. grip clamped onto there and then also i'll grab the quick uh, uh whatever the the clamp and pull it straight up down into the quenching oil and then harden that blade, and we will wow. move from there. But yeah, let's just wait for the next full moon, then. Yep. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> those solar knife talk is oh, sorry. <laughs> I was just gonna say those solar winds really fuck things up. <laughs> yeah. Knife talk is sponsored by Even Heat, the manufacturers of the finest heat treat ovens available. To find your next oven, go to evenheat-kiln. Do it now. Okay, let's do some questions. Our lovely listeners, um, they've been sending questions to Knife Talk Podcast on Instagram, DMing us. Um, And this first one is from Jonathan Spencer. He says, hello, my name is Jonathan, um, and I have a question. Uh, When you are designing a knife or coming up with a name for your knives, um, how can you make sure you're not copying um, similar or being similar to someone else's design or name? something we've all come across i'm sure um sure. when i first started my knives um i got accused um of copying somebody else's um to the point where they they were threatening take me to court and all sorts um and and it clearly it just definitely wasn't the case even and and when i see other knives now um i can see, see certain elements of of the knife that i that i was my first knives were designed like and the reason for that was the tooling the tooling that most of us have we have this sure. you know this two inch uh wheel at the top of the platen and the one at the bottom and you you see you see that little two inch mark you know you know the, the the transition between the blade and the handle there yeah you know lots of people use that so it was that size and mine was and this other blade was um and it's just down to the constraints that we have i think that we we all do something similar because we're all doing similar techniques using very similar machinery um so it is difficult it really is difficult and like we always say there's only so, so many sharp and pointy shapes out there um but i think uh, for me personally i spend a lot less time 
on Instagram now, mm. um, looking at other people's knives, just because I don't want even to, to have to think about being influenced by others. Sure. And I think being influenced by others is fine anyway. But when you see a straight up copy of somebody's, you know, it's it's never never good. Um, but I think when the longer you sort of work at it, the more you're going to find your own sort of style and what works for you. Um, and you know, I can look at a lot of knives and know you know who made them. And that you know, little intricate details, um, and, and I'm sure Morocco's the same. You can look at a knife that you'll see online, and without even seeing the name of who it was, you'll know who it is. Um, but maybe to the untrained eye, it's exactly like many other knives. Sure. Um, but it, but it's difficult. And when it comes down to naming, I mean, you know, it's pretty much the same there as well. Really, um, there's not much you can do. However, however, it speaks to you. Call it that. That's that's all I can say. Yeah, I mean, naming. I mean, I feel like. Uh the standard go-to is just like your last name or part of your name and knives mm. <laughs> you, yeah yeah if you can't yeah. think of it because honestly um it, you, i've seen people get really abstract with names and it's like first off like it's confusing it's like what is what does that word even fucking mean yeah, it doesn't yeah. and, and i think some people are trying to be too fancy or too whatever like sophisticated but if it only causes confusion then that's not helpful so i think be careful on that end of things um yeah but naming you know, like mine's malmasi fire arts or i, mm. I could have gone malmasi knives or whatever and uh but it's when you say that it's like it sounds like somebody and you're like, okay, well, who is this person? And you want, I mean, most people will probably be generally interested to find out more. Hmm. Um, regarding that person, I don't, I don't think you've ever told me who that is, but I'm pretty confident I know who it is. And if it's the person I'm thinking of, they can fuck right off because <laughs> if anybody's ever seen the work by Joel Berkowitz at Cut Brooklyn, <laughs> this motherfucker who's busting you're, Craig's you're balls right. you are right. is a straight <laughs> fucking ripoff, and I hope he's listening right now and he understands. You're straight ripping off Joel Berkowitz, and so you got no fucking ground to stand on. Fuck, fuck <laughs> you. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. But with regard to names, I thought I was being quite clever, actually, getting Chop. Um, sure. Because there was a Chop there was a chop Knives out there, and, and it wasn't, there was nothing up. Nothing up. Okay. So I managed to track down the guy who owned the domain. And um, he said, oh, you know, I registered this like six years ago. I've just been renewing it every year. I've never got around to actually making any knives. And I said, like, well, can I buy it from you? Um, and he was like, yeah. So I bought it from him. And I thought, I'm, this is a really great, great name, I thought. You know, it's short. It, it's exactly what it is. Um, but the problem with it, it's just not Googleable at all. If you Google oh, chop knives, it's right. it's an action a knife will make. And yes. you'll find, you, you know, so it gets buried. Up. It gets buried. Um, but what I do like is, you know, I'd like to think of my sort of designs as being quite uh, bare and um, quite sort of modern. Yeah. And not, not not too much going on. And I think just having chop on that sort of works because it's, you know, it's just four letters. It's quite clean. Um, so it works in that respect. Um, but, yeah, with regards to a name, you want to try and make sure that it's it's unique um, because chop knives certainly isn't unique. Yeah. Um, even to the point that there's lots of other chop knives out there now since that I've that I've seen. Um, and you know, it's people who had the same idea as me. Basically, you know, it's, it's great for a knife. It's what you do with a knife. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, it doesn't really work for you know the way we search for things online. Sure. And when it comes to search, I mean, what is it? Uh, 
<sighs> I can't think of Jared Thatcher. He was, I think it was Queens something, Queensland. Yes. Yeah, there was, there's something going on with that, I remember. Queens, yeah. But it yeah. was somebody else's brand already. And honestly, a quick, if you're worried that you might be using somebody else's name, Google is a very powerful tool for figuring that out. Um, yeah. Especially if you just say whatever, knives. If it, if it comes up, then it's somebody else's thing. Um, and so, you know, you can name it after your dog. You can name it after the street you grew up on. I don't care. I, I mean, that's what's great about Blend and Forge. Like, they're just named after the street they're on. Yeah. But is it yeah. very unique? Uh, and you, you know, easily to search. There probably aren't a lot of Blenheim anything's except for that fucking street and the and the knife making well, company. The palace. There's a, there's a huge. Oh, palace is there a palace over palace. there? I don't. I don't <laughs> there know. It's a small area. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know yeah. anything yeah. about that area. <laughs> Sorry, guys. It's England. There's palaces everywhere. You know what it's like. Yeah. Screw the English. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, but yeah, when it comes up to designs, though, you know, I think. I don't think there's anything wrong with taking inspiration from stuff. And I think the big problem has always been when people pretend like they just came out of nowhere with it. And like you said already, Craig, like it, there are a bit of limitations with shapes and handle shapes and even just like the combinations of handle material or type of finish, all, like all the various aspects there. It's kind of limited. It's hard to really push yourself outside of the typical bounds of what makes a knife a knife and the stylistic choices and stuff um and if you do take inspiration from somebody i think the thing is to just be transparent about it um mm. because honestly like your biggest supporters are likely to be other knife makers and if other knife makers see you acting like you just came up with this style a knife but it's a straight ripoff of don Nguyen's work then they're gonna tell you to fuck off like you're not mm. gonna get their support uh, even yeah. though they're not your target demographic they're not the people who are buying your work from you it does really help to get the support of makers around you because i i know like we do on this podcast and i do myself like i share other makers work but it's people whose work i respect and i appreciate the creativity or unique things they're doing but they're always acting with integrity and i think that's the hardest thing um unfortunately it sometimes seems very difficult for people to act with integrity because they want to feel like i came up with this thing but the reality yeah. is like you probably didn't unfortunately um i and again i think that's where we've talked about in recent episodes where also like the story we were saying actually earlier in this episode about the swords but story your story your the brand you develop on top of everything else is also going to be a major selling point so it's not just the stylistic choices but it's like who you are as a as a maker and as a person in the world um that will help influence or inspire people to want to get work from you yeah yeah very good point very good point okay do you want to take the next one for falcon yes. knives ak uh falcon knives ak says hey guys here's the dilemma uh i had someone purchase a large order from me and must have had some buyer's remorse a few days later because they wanted to return the knife set the set was about three thousand dollars and i use square which takes roughly three percent card transaction if i return the customer's money i lose out on that three percent at three percent which would be ninety dollars should i charge them the credit card fee and return the rest or jack 
uh, just suck it up and, and take the hit. Thanks for the advice, Kurt Komyari. Hmm. That's a good, we've never had that question before, actually. That's a good, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, I think you've got to get to the bottom of why they wanted to return the knives. So there could be a, a bigger issue there anyway. Um, but I mean, I, I think it would be difficult to, to try and charge them that fee too. So I think when you're pricing up, I think you need to sort of build that cost in mm-hmm. um, in case in, in case this, this happens. Um, but the fact that you're doing a refund, does, that doesn't really... Uh, that that's a really difficult one. Sure, I I don't know, and and I don't know what I do in that situation either. Um, I th- I think I try I try I try and sort of ha- have not have it out with them, but you know, trying to understand why they're returning the knife. Um, because unless you've had some sort of contract beforehand, you're not obliged to you know have the knife returned and 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 give the money back. Um, but if they're not happy with the knife, then that that you know it's a different issue then. Right. Um. But I don't know. With regards to the charge, I think I think you've just got to swallow it, really, to be fair. It's, you know, hopefully it's a rare thing that happens for, for you. For sure. Yeah, I, yeah. I agree. I think this might have to be, unfortunately, this one might have to be one you have to eat. But hopefully make it a lesson uh, for making adjustments in the future. And I think part of that, which I, I've referred to many times, is uh, my our terms of use. When somebody, when we send an invoice to somebody, part you know of the description of the knife and everything, or even if it's for a deposit, I have a link on there that says, by paying this invoice, you agree to our terms of service. That links to a terms of service page that's all a bunch of legal jargon. Um, but in there, you can fold in you know a certain percent a 10 percent you know service charge uh a non-refundable 10 percent service charge that you don't have to explain to them why it's there you just say there's a 10 percent service charge maybe that mm. com- compensates you for materials or i don't know what um especially or, or if somebody wants a return that helps cover the cost not only of the money coming in but then the uh you know, if there is a return, then it covers the return. And and so hopefully that 10%, and then you, and you just build that into the price. Yeah, um, yeah. And, but in your terms of service, that's just, it's there, it's covered by paying the invoice or however they, you know, make, I think that what's really important for it to be valid is that it has to be somewhere the person has an opportunity to see it. Uh, you can't just sneak it in, by the way, and like somewhere, mm. like it has to be obvious. Um, and, and that way it's fair. They have a fair chance to stop and change their mind and back out or whatever before any money or any work is done. Yeah. You know, that's quite interesting. I've been doing this, this whole festival thing that I'm talking about, and we're putting tickets live next week and it's quite normal for events and for ticketing, um, for you to charge the customer for the, for that, you know, for the credit card fee and whatever, you know, there'd be a booking fee. Sure. And and it, it's quite normal for people for the customer to eat that. But I can't think of any other industry where we do that. Where we all take card payments now, you know. And I think right. it's quite weird that nobody else does that. But it's completely accepted in the ticketing world. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like when we were first doing for you know me and my wife starting the business and first taking like digital payments or credit card payments, mm. um, we were charging people the credit card fee. But yeah. come to find out, that is, I think, 
I, I don't know if it's just our state or the United States or whatever, but it's technically against the law to charge the customer the service or the that credit card fee. But oh. there are ways for people to build that in to their pricing so that it helps to so that when you quote somebody a certain amount, that price that amount is kind of built into that so that or into that quote so that that is that is not a thing that you're losing out on just so that yeah. you can do business. Yeah. Um I think like a restocking fee some people use. Yeah, and it's um, it's change like you can call it you can call it a shipping and handling. Like because realistically hmm. like it does take time, materials and, and costs to ship and handle like handle the whole shipping process of packaging and stuff. Um yeah. and some people build it into that as part of the shipping and handling fee. Um but I think the best way is just to charge a little bit more for your work. Um because either direction, that would have been $30. And $30 on top of 3000 probably doesn't seem like very much, and who the fuck cares? Mm-hmm. But it would have helped prevent some of this pain of yeah. the back and forth. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, uh, Leroy A. Knives uh, said, Hey, cuties, this is for Morocco uh, and maybe Craig for sightseeing. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an archaeological experiment going on, going on at, I think it's Guidelon, in France, uh, they are building a castle from the 13th century from scratch, only using the tools and techniques available at that time. That's cool. Um, there are blacksmiths on site. Uh, maybe they could get the information you want on pub- on a publishing article, uh, Echo. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that that would be very interesting. I don't know how far that is from you, but that would probably be pretty, at least... Yeah, Possibly I don't know. Vaguely it's interesting long, for you to go see. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, France is a pretty large country, isn't it? It is, mm-hmm. and you can you can guarantee when you get there they'll be taking lunch. Of course, they'll be taking lunch, <laughs> or it'll be a or it'll be a holiday. <laughs> Nobody's <laughs> even there. <laughs> yeah, nothing will be going on. <laughs> oh my god, that's so funny. Uh, um, we had another holiday again this week on Monday. Oh yeah, what um, holiday was that? Well, holiday it's a weird for holidays. One in the UK, they obviously had a huge holiday because it was the, it was the king's coronation. Oh, right. um, so it was a day off for everybody. Um, but for some reason, we had one here in France as well. So it's who knows? They, they have a holiday for anything here. Uh, <laughs> that was funny. Uh, uh, yeah, I think. Yeah, trying to figure out. I think that's probably one of the things I'm missing as part of my puzzle right now regarding the swords, is um, understanding more about the technology and techniques that were available at the time. Uh, hmm. To try to really understand some of the sudden advancements that were created or developed to be able to make these swords. Um, so if people got information or resources for those books or ideally picture books. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that's very helpful to see. Um, but also words are great. Um, but yeah, picture books, articles, <laughs> regular books. Uh, that'd be interesting. Hmm. Okay, be- before uh, you do the next one from John Marston, okay. uh, let's tell people about these guys. Combat Abrasives makes the world's best abrasive belts for knife makers. Available in any size at unbelievable prices. Go take a look at CombatAbrasives.com and get 15% off with promo code KNIFETALK15. Do it now. Do it now, exactly. Okay. Okay. From John Marston. 
He says, hey, gents, I have a, uh, a question that might turn into a dilemma. Do you think it would be safe to use G10 pin stock for a stop pin on a friction folder or use at least or use at least brass or some kind of metal? Now, stop. If you guys feel uh, that's safe, oh, sorry, sorry, I'm really struggling with reading right now. If you guys feel that's safe, then stop there. Um, let me explain. I, I overbuild everything. So when I see someone selling friction folders with G10 stop pins, I saw it questionable. Or, yeah, I saw it as questionable. Uh, then there's the dilemma. Do I say anything? If I do, uh, how can I do so without sounding like a knife Karen or just shut up and let them do their thing? What do you think? Mm. So it's a stop pin, not a pivot pin. It's just the stop pin. Yeah. Um, personally, I, I wouldn't use G10, um, but I would use brass. And in fact, I have on the, on the little folders that I did. Right. Um, the, the only pin that wasn't brass was the, the actual pivot pin, because okay. um, obviously that does a lot more movement um, and that's more likely to, to break down. So that was, that was a stainless pin. Yeah. Um, I can't see an issue with it, really. Um, what, what do you think, Greco? I think, yeah, I think ideally metal would be most ideal. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just because, yeah, because, you know, we abrade G10 nonstop. And I guess we can abrade um, brass as well, but it doesn't cut away maybe as easily. I don't know. <laughs> hmm. um, but when it comes to do you jump in and say something, Maybe if you really feel compelled to say something, maybe not project, but ask a question. Be like, oh, I'm, I'm curious about that stop pin. Are you concerned about it wearing down over time? But um, ultimately, yeah. if you don't know this person, <laughs> it seems like a weird like armchair move to be it out does. of left field and be like, hey, by the way, <laughs> that's a bad fucking call, buddy. <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, if if it's happened to you, if you've had one yourself with G10 stop pins and you've had a problem, maybe you, you could say something. Sure. But um, it sounds as if you haven't. And I can't really see it being a big issue anyway as stop pins. But, but hey, who knows? I mean, one of the things that you may find there is if it's, you know, a lot of friction folders are all metal construction. And if you're just using G10 for the pins... Um, if it's all metal, if there's any sort of movement, you know, temperature-wise, it'll generally all sort of move together. Um, but if you're using a different material, then it's just a G10, it wouldn't. Mm. So maybe that could be an issue, but I, I, I don't think it would be. Yeah. I, yeah. Karen. <laughs> Karen Marston. You tell your husband, John, to stop sending us notes, okay? <laughs> nice. uh, do you want to do this next at? one from Ben? Uh, Benjamin Coffin. Um Benjamin Coffin, okay. Uh, why hasn't somebody made an app for phones? Um, so when you're hand sanding, you log in and it matches you with another blade, Smith, to chat with while you're both hand sanding. Sander, it could be called, without the E. Sander, like, pretty much like Grinder. But you don't want to use Grinder when you're grinding, believe me. Or would it be more like <laughs> chat roulette? Possibly. Yeah, maybe. Okay, yeah. Would it be stroke yeah. roulette? Stroke. <laughs> Light strokes, it could be called, yeah. <laughs> different strokes different, different strokes. folks. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, it would just be Will anyway. You always see Will when he's doing his hand sanding. He'll, 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 he'll just be Will Stelter 24 hours, all day Will long. Stelter. Yeah. <laughs> just, just FaceTime Will Stelter. He'll be hand sanding. You're fine. 
That's funny. Uh, yeah, you log in and you're like, I'm hand standing, by the way. Who wants the chat? Who wants the chat? Chat? Yeah. Talk? <laughs> yeah. Anyways. Do you remember when chat roulette first came out and everybody's a little bit curious? Sure. And it took it took about 15 seconds before a cock came on the screen basically every time. It's like, what? Unbelievable. People. People. Uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, if you okay, are, if you, wait. But if you are going to be doing some hand sanding, I know Ooh. I know what Benjamin was doing here. If you're going to do some hand sanding, you got to go to Texas Ferry Supply and get yourself some Rhino Wet, right? If you put in Knife Talk 10, that'll save you 10% on anything. I talked to Evan about this. It'll save you 10% on anything they offer at Texas Ferry Supply, including the world's best hand sanding paper for blades, Rhino Wet, Red Line. So... Go check them out. Go to, is it TexasFerrySupply.com? Dot com, that's the one, yeah. Yep. Put in yep. Knife Talk 10, save yourself some of those ducats, and uh, get some work done. There we go. Nice one. Um, EDC Gearhouse, you want to take that one? Yeah, EDC Gearhouse. Uh, are serrations added pre or post heat treat? As a knife modder, we get requests for uh, serrations, but... Honestly, I just don't know how to add them in a unique way that isn't being done that yeah, isn't being done before before heat treat, I'm guessing. Um hmm. Yeah, I think I, I the when I've done serrations, the only time I've done them has been after heat treat, the same as I do any of my other finished grinding. Um yeah. is a little trickier, obviously, because the material has been hardened and if you overheat the material, it can really mess things up. Um, I don't know. What do you think, Craig? I've tried when I first started serrations. I tried both, um, but I gen like you. I generally do most of my grinding uh, post heat trees anyway. Um, but my first serrations, they were pretty bad. They were very almost saw like with real sort of teeth to them. Okay. Um, and because you've got those really sort of fine teeth as opposed to sort of a scalloped edge. Sure. Um. It was very hard to do that post heat treat because that you got such a small amount of material there for those teeth. Um, they were, you know, they were going blue. They were, they were heating up very, very quickly. Mm. Um, but that was an error really in my grinding and the the design as opposed to whether or not to do it, you know, post or pre heat treat. Okay, yeah. um, simply because the the, the teeth. Um, but I'd say um, I'd say definitely post heat treat. Um, but yeah, think scallops as opposed to teeth. I think is the uh, is the way to go. Sure. Yeah, and different way because so he mentions that they are a so, so they do these custom modifications to knives. People mm. buy these knives. Um, maybe they're commercial, maybe they're custom made, whatever. I think a lot of them are typically like uh, commercially manufactured. Um, yeah, yeah. And then they modify them. They do, uh, you know, laser engraving. They anodize blades. They do stone washing, tumbling, all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, there's some really unique and interesting, um, if you guys go to EDC Gearhouse, uh, they've done some really cool modifications, but how to cut those, I mean, I feel like the serrations I typically see on, especially like folding knives are pretty small, like maybe an eighth of an inch, um, mm. and somewhat aggressive because usually it's towards the, uh, kind of the ricasso of yeah, the blade yeah. and it's meant for catching and cutting rope. Um, hmm. I don't know. It, I don't. I'd be curious what kind of uh unique way 
they're thinking they want to kind of cut those in. I wonder if you could use like a CNC, um, but with like a Dremel bit or something. I don't know. You, tooling hmm. would be fucking weird. I don't know. How I'd that say would for those exactly. for those small ones, I'd get um, almost like you know the, those sharpening systems, like the um, there's the, those oh the works Russian one years ago, um, where you have a rod, you know, and it keeps your your angle, your angle steady. <laughs> you dangle. Is that it what keeps gonna... your dangle steady. That's the one. <laughs> um, but use maybe something like a, like a chainsaw file um, on one oh, of them, okay. because then you're going to get that angle right each time. You can have you you be able to get you know a nice small sort of um, you know um, the size grind as well. Sure. Um, I think maybe maybe that could work, but it just seems like a lot of work. But I mean, if that's what you do, if you just do modifications anyway, um, possibly, yeah, yeah. Hmm. I don't really have anything else. I'd have to look at EDC Gearhouse. Shoot me a message. Uh, I'd be curious to know more specifically what you are talking, what kind of serrations you're thinking of. Yes, um, yeah. You bring up chainsaw files. I, it made me think of Lockwood. Do you still have that bit of woods? We do. We do, yeah. You, Lockwood Woodward, we call it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we do, because our, our house here is, is, is sort of powered by, in the winter, all our heating is, is by burning wood, like most of the houses around okay. here. So, um, so yeah, yeah, we, we've still got it. Um, we don't use it so much now as we did when we first had it sort of recreationally, okay. because um, we've moved and we're, we're about 45 minutes away from it now. I gotcha. Um, but I still go maybe once a month, check up on things. Make sure um, nobody's poaching your trees. Exactly. Um, we have lots of fun actually with the kids. We put up like trail cameras in, oh, cool. in there, um, so then the kids go and retrieve them. We look at the footage, and there's always deer and uh, pigs and stuff like that. So yeah, oh. that's that's quite fun. Have you? Um, have you but, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. We did, but yeah, every sort of January, you know, beginning of the month, we take a few trees down, um, cut it, and we and that's sort of, you know, that's that'll be stored for a couple of years' time. Then you know, so we've oh. only just now started really burning the wood from the wood that we cut down sort of two years ago when we first had it. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's a really nice feeling, actually, burning, burning your own wood because, you know, <laughs> I haven't paid anybody for this, which is always nice. Sure. Um, I guess you – so you take down – how big are the trees? Like how – like what's the diameter? How tall are they? Because three They're trees big. doesn't I mean, seem like a lot of trees. Yeah, we've got um, – it's five acres. So it's, it's quite a big, oh, wow. big bit. Yeah. So there's there's half of it is almost like a nursery side where they they grow in. The other side is bigger, and then the idea is then in sort of ten years time you switch and you go back and forth. <sighs> I got um, you. But they're they're hornbeam. Um, so the mature ones are maybe eighteen inches thick. Okay. Um, not they're not huge like big oaks. Um, sure. I mean there are some some huge ones there which we we'll leave them because they they are just big and they're. They're lovely to be there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, generally about 18 inches, those are the ones we're taking down. Um, and um, they're, they're tall. They're, they're very tall. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, three is, will give us, um, we, do, we do what we call stairs of, of um, wood here, okay. which is um, basically a, the, the meter long. Um, and we do meter by a meter. Okay. Um, and we generally go for about 15 of them a year. And three trees is, is more than enough for that. Wow. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. So it's a lot of work. Actually, I really enjoy those days when we do that every year. But um, it it is a lot of work. You're achy, and it's it's yeah, it's it is hard. That's work, right. I fun. forgot you 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 were kind of like a a bushman or not bushman, but like a bushcrafter yeah. guy. Like you like to go out into the wood, 
Yeah. Make yeah, some coffee, yeah. set up a small camp, build a fire. Yeah. Before kid, before the kids, it was something I did very regularly. Um, but now <laughs> I've got time to do anything. Um, but uh, yeah, I used to do that quite a lot and yeah, enjoy it. But, uh, you know, other things come and take over. Sure. You, you So you don't feel comfortable, like you could, you don't feel like you could take the kids out there? Oh, we do. We do. do um, in, in, the, in the hot sun, we don't because there's, there's ticks everywhere when, Ooh, as soon as it gets, yeah. you know, as soon as it gets to that time of the year. Uh, but like this time of the year now is, is, is great for it, actually. Um, but, um, yeah, it's perfectly safe. It's, yeah. And, um, yeah, it's just time. We just haven't really had the time to spend that much time there this year. I got gotcha. you. Okay. Mm. Okay, Sean Wilson. Um, hey, man, can I ask you a question? Um, usually I made Damascus out of 1084 and 15N20, as you've discussed. These work so well as they have such similar heat rates. But recently I made a wide 80CRV2 uh, with, with a thin 15N20 stock of Damascus. Uh, my question is the 80CRV2 with its vanadium content requires an extra 45 degrees in the heat rate um, as per the Knife Steel Nerds book. Um, he says, so do I do the 1525 degrees or the 1480 um, that the 15N20 calls for? Or somewhere in between. Uh, he said, these knives have been made for kitchen cutlery with a fine edge, think brisket slicer or a bone-in knife. Mm-hmm. So he's using, yeah, two different steels, two different heat treat temperatures. Um, where should he be shooting? Um, I feel like I'm going to be a dick right now. But he finishes <laughs> it with saying these knives are going to be made for kitchen cutlery with a fine edge, think brisket slicer and boning knife but i feel like Mm. those two knives would actually be the least likely to have the most refined edge in the kitchen um so maybe i'm splitting hairs but the geometry Mm. on those knives because of the likelihood of coming into contact with bone would probably be a little bit more robust than your general purpose santoku or chef's knife yeah um when it comes to the heat treat uh i would say you know I, I I would shoot from do the do the fifteen twenty five. I think that would be fine. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, because I think I think the fifteen and twenty, ten eighty, fifteen and twenty, um can be heat treated from as high up as like fifteen hundred. It's just when you do once you get up to that kind of like that top end of the range, um when you're holding the steel for long periods of time at that type top end, that's when grain growth really starts to grow really fast. Uh, the difference between grain growth at 1500 or 1550 versus 1450, 1475, it's dramatically different. Um, so, you know, get up there, get the, get the temp, um, let it soak for 10 minutes, but don't let it soak forever. You know, get it out of there, quench it and move on. Um, mm-hmm. You should be fine. Cool. Okay, whilst we're talking Damascus, probably a good time to tell everybody about Dharma Steel. DharmaSteel.se online. Um, they sell a stainless Damascus with some beautiful, beautiful patterns. Um, really good guys there. We're currently doing a build along with them. Um, I'm not sure if they have any pieces left. I know they did run out and they were working very hard to make more. Um, if you follow them on um, Instagram, Dharma Steel Lab. <laughs> Um, they'll they'll let you know when there's more pieces available, or if you if you DM them, I'm sure they tell you as well. Um, but basically, a bunch of us are doing a a build along. 
Um, so they did sell out. Hopefully there's more. Um, and over the coming weeks, um, we will be sort of explaining that process of our build along. Um, I've actually cut mine now. Mine is cut. I'm ready to refine it, ready for heat treat. Um, and I'm actually making a charcuterie knife. So everybody needs to make a um, a culinary knife of some sort. Um, but what you'll find is that the piece isn't huge. Um, so it's it's gonna everybody's got the same sort of limitation, which which I'm quite enjoying. So it's gonna be fun to see what what people are making. Have you got any idea, Mareko, what you're going to make yet? Yeah, I don't know. I was, I was thinking about doing these shoes, and I think I it's it's too much to try to ask of this very small piece of steel, mm. and so I'm going to go in a different direction. I'm probably going to make a chef's knife, um, but I will try to make it as uniquely me as I possibly can. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's really what I think is going to be fun. Just seeing what yeah. what people are making, sure. because as I said, there's a limitation that we've all got, which will just make things more interesting. Um, and come the Dharma Steel Chef Invitational, which was which is their yearly sort of, it's almost like the annual award show, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, they will be picking a winner as well, and there's prizes and all sorts for yeah. the winners. So it's it's going to be fun. Yeah, I think the piece roughly is about inch and a quarter wide by. About eight inches long, maybe seven inches. Uh, yes, about that. Yes, yeah, and yeah, and maybe yeah. only just under a qu- a quarter of an inch, or just over an eighth of an inch. So maybe five thirty seconds of an inch. Not very, mm. not super thick. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah, it'll be fun to see it, what people make from it. Definitely. Definitely. Um, I use KnifePrint, um, uh, KnifePrint.com, who are one of our sponsors too, um, to help with to help with the design. Um, I like to try and sort of, you know, get templates of things beforehand, just so I can see the sort of the shape, how it'll look. Mm. And KnifePrint is great for that. So if you've never done any sort of CAD before, uh, particularly sort of 2D CAD, which is, you know, it's far simpler than it sounds, especially at KnifePrint.com, because they've got special tools that you need, um, you know, for, draw, for drawing the various shapes. Some of them are quite specific to only knives that you wouldn't see in other CAD programs. You don't need any sort of licensing. It's all done in the browser. You get to save what you want. Um, you can get to print out the paper as well, which I think a lot of people may overlook, um, which is really good because you can make your templates. Um, but their main sort of service, I suppose, is then you can press print and they will they will either laser jet cut it or water jet cut it out. You pick the steel, the stock that you want, um, and they'll just mail it to you, which is, which is like blows my mind how that can happen this day and age designing something in the browser and then get the physical product in the in the post yeah. um it's pretty cool uh, so go take a look at knifeprint.com i used it for this damascus uh the dharma steel build along um and i'm sure others will be doing too all right we're ready for another question let's do it this one's from brody <laughs> brody dude brody. <laughs> question for you craig just curious on why you moved to france and how long you live there? Cheers. <laughs> um, I, th- I think we covered this in in a previous interview with uh, Jeff on Jeff's Full Blast. Yes. Both myself and Mareko have had a, an episode on there where we sort of deep dive into how we got into knife making and basically, you know, our whole life really. <laughs> um, but just just to put it sort of shortly, um, I've been here five, possibly six years now. Um, my wife and I were in the UK both working for ourselves. Uh, we came to France. Her parents had a place here at the time. Um, sort of fell in love with the place and thought, well, we could do this. We're not tied to the UK in any way. We can work wherever we want. Didn't have children at the time. Um, 
and we thought, well, bugger, let's do it. So we, we booked two weeks to drive around France uh, to find a house. And um, house prices are, are ridiculously cheap here. Ridiculously cheap, compared to the UK at least anyway. Mm. Um, wow. So, yeah, we sold everything up in the UK and, and came to France. Um, which which sounds crazy, but, I mean, we're hour and 20 minutes on a plane. Right. So, <laughs> you know... Yeah, so where we are, where where we were in Wales, it it takes three hours to get to London, but you know only hour and twenty to get here in France, and um, so yeah, it was a bit of a no brainer for us, really. Sure. Uh, yeah, that's like a f- and I'm weird. Oh, go ahead. We're now sort of our children were born here. They all speak fluent French. It's yeah, it's it's home now. Nice. Yeah, I'm about what is it? I'm trying to think of what an hour and twenty minute flight. How far it gets me? I think it gets me to Bozeman, Montana. And Northern mm. California. Right. Okay. So mm. a couple states away, either direction. <laughs> Not very far. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it sounds great, an hour and 20 minute flight. Yeah. But really, it's, you know, hour to the airport. You've got to be there hour and a oh, half Christ. beforehand. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a full day, really. Yes. But, you know, no one we can get back to see family, you know, that day is, you know, it's, it's quite nice. Yeah. All right. We got another one actually here from John Marston. Let's. <sighs> Karen Marston. Do we even take it? No, I'm just saying. Let's do it. Yeah. All right. He yeah, says, hello, on. gents. I have a question for you. Did you know how to sharpen knives before becoming a maker? Uh, and if so, when did you first learn how to sharpen a knife and who taught you? Hmm. Well, um, I didn't re. I thought I did. <laughs> but I didn't really before getting into that whole sort of culture of you know proper knife nerds. Um, so my my grandfather sort of got me. I wouldn't say got me into knives, but he always had a, like a collection of of beautiful knives, and they were like his treasure in his drawer kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember him buying me my first knife when you know I was a, a young boy. And um, he, as well as getting the knife, he got me like this little little tiny stone. And, and when I say little, I mean sort of maybe four inches like a, you can hold by, it in your by half inch yeah four inches by half yeah. inch you know and this is just for a little pocket knife um so he'd show me how to sort of sharpen this knife with that um so in my mind because i've been doing that since i was 10 i was thinking i'm the king of sharpening <laughs> knives you know i'm the king of it but then you start making knives and you see what other people are doing it's like oh jesus i didn't have a fucking clue what <laughs> i was doing um but yeah that 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 was my introduction to sharpening i suppose yeah i uh, let's see. I worked in a restaurant, and at one of our kitchen meetings, the um, actually the restaurant manager who didn't work in the kitchen uh, decided he wanted to offer us a knife care demo about how to properly mm. hone and care for an edge. Um, and it was okay. I think some of his information could definitely have been uh, better informed but it definitely uh i think for the first time i really it, that was the first time i ever had any information told to me about sharpening knives in general um mm. even though my grandfather had spent a lot of time kind of being a, a woodsy kind of guy he he would ride horseback through the woods and go hunting and stuff like that i did uh, you know i i met him when he was very old <laughs> and so uh, we didn't get really a lot of time to, um, you know, kind of share some of that stuff about knives and woodcraft and uh, or bushcraft and stuff like that. And so, um, and so, I didn't really get that from him. So this this kitchen manager showed some stuff, and then I applied it 
like the next day when I was at the restaurant and it worked and I was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Uh, and that was the first, but it honestly, like I said, it wasn't the greatest information. And as after getting into knife making, um, when I worked for Bob Kramer, he gave me a lesson on stone sharpening. Um, and then I kind of rolled with it from there. But it, again, like it was more, the lesson wasn't super detailed. It was more, it was basically hold it like this and rub it on the stone like this. And then, <laughs> uh, and didn't do it on the other side. Um, didn't really like get too specific into, I, well, maybe we talked about some degrees, um, like what degree angle, but not necessarily like why. And I think that's what I really honestly struggled with for a really long time. And I'm actually still learning about, um, Sean Houston on Instagram, he's triple B handmade. Um, he's got a lot of really great information about sharpness and edge retention and sharpening and, um, and cons- Kasumi Kev as well, who we did, mm-hmm. an, I did an interview with uh, a couple of years back um, for this uh, podcast, um, talking about sharpening. And uh, there's, there's so much to still understand about burrs and polishing and refining those burrs and maintaining those edges and what angle you sharpen at, depending on the kind of work you're actually doing versus, you know, so like a, a, a razor edge for shaving versus you know, being out in the woods and using a camp knife to chop down a tree, like not the same geometry, but why yeah. are they different geometry and what is that geometry? And is it a convex or is it a flat grind? Is it a hollow grind? Uh, all the, you know, what's the specific angle, all these different things. And some of that is learned through trial and error. Um, but there's, there's some pretty good information. And again, go check out, especially like Sean Houston. There's, he's got a lot of great information uh, about sharpening. Hmm. And if you've got a broad back, you could always buy the sharpening system. That's right. I mean, come on. Um, if you don't have a broad back, why don't you have a broad back? Um, they make fantastic grinders. Um, we had Vince on the show just a couple of weeks ago. Um, and, yeah, he was telling us about some of the stuff they've got coming up as well. They're sort of off off mic. Um, it's going to blow your socks off. And and the thing is, everything sort of works with a broad back. They've got all these attachments and these different things that you, you can always upgrade. It's always great. Um, so... <laughs> Sorry, I just had received a message from Jeff. Um, <laughs> I don't know what it is. Did you have you got that, Morocco? No, I don't think so. Oh right, okay. It, um, basically, it's, it's it's a URL which I'm not going to click. But the, do you know oh, the URL sometimes tells you what what's in it. Um, so it's a New York Post okay. post, and it's got um, nypost.com forward slash giant penis mowed into lawn at King Charles's coronation bash. Perfect. Okay, yeah, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to Broadback. Um, they're fantastic grinders. Um, as I say, every everything sort of works with them. They've got all these upgrades and stuff that you can buy, and I know the future stuff that they're working on will continue to upgrade a Broadback as well. So it's it's, it's time-proof. It's time-proof. Um, but if you haven't got one of their sharpening systems, you can get, I believe it's $100 off by using knife talk 100 at checkout yes. that also applies to their sewing the cowboy sewing machine um and also their uh, surface grinder else surface, <laughs> surface grinder grind. that's the one the surface grinder um and also if you use knife talk 200 you get 200 dollars off one of the packages that they do when they grind the packages right. um so they're affordable anyway but um, they can be even more affordable yeah. as you're a as you're a lovely listener to this podcast. Yeah, and they so go, t- go take a look. They did post uh, just in the last couple of days. Uh, they did 
post their blade show sales so people can start thinking about that as well uh they're gonna have their super mega package at uh they're gonna it's what is it 590 dollars off it's gonna be four thousand seventy five dollars and then their premium plus package is gonna be three thousand eighty which is four hundred and forty five dollars off and their max package is gonna be Two hundred, or sorry, two, not two hundred, two thousand eight hundred and ten dollars, which is a savings of two hundred and fifteen dollars. So, uh, if you are looking, those deals are going to be pretty great for Blade Show. Um, but mm. you can still use the Knife Talk one hundred to save on the sharpening system, the leather sewing machine, and the surface grinder Knife Talk one hundred. Um, but if I were you, I'd maybe wait until Blade Show. If you're thinking mm. you're going to get one of them packages, because, I mean, geez, the, it's a big the one is like yeah, yeah. five, almost $600 off. So that's yeah. pretty massive. Wow. Wow. And Canadians and Australians, um, they've also got distributors there now as that's well. Right. So um, our good friends at MaritimeKnifeSupply.com, um, they are now stockists of Broadbacks, um, as well as everything else. I mean, they do steel belts basically everything that we promote on this show they now have in stock there so whether it's rhino wet or combat abrasives they've got it all there um that's maritime knife supply.com and they've also got offers on on belts and stuff as well so it's worth just having a look to see what they've got because whenever we mention anything we'll get a little ping from lauren saying oh i'm selling that now too so they've got everything there believe yeah. me maritime knife supply.com Sweet. Okay, where were we? Um, Valdo Vice, I think it's Valdo Vice. Um, question: Hey guys, I'm getting my first own workshop, and unfortunately, there's a wooden floor in it that I can't take out. I only do stock removal, so no forging. Uh, but I, I do want to do my own heat treatment in there. I know that forges sometimes used to have wooden floors too. So should I be worried? I was planning to put sh- uh, sheet steel and anti-slip tape on the floor around the dangerous areas. Uh, thanks guys have a great day um i do something personally um i had wooden floors in my old shop before i moved um and i, I didn't actually realize it was wooden floors it, it was like a lino and underneath was was just the wooden boards mm. and um i dropped a few knives on that and um yeah it's not it's not nice first of all obviously the lino just melts um <laughs> but just seeing the the burns in that wood immediately right um, and in fact, one of the houses in in the old village that I was here in France, um, they burned down like to the ground a couple of months ago. Oh, yeah, and um, I, I was told it was because of the wooden floors there. It was like ancient, you know, it was, it was a sort of 400 year old, year old house, um, which had wooden floors in there. Um, and these had dried out. So when it, when a flame did actually, and went in a spark and happened, or however it started, it didn't take long at all for this whole thing to go. And I'm talking like minutes, not hours. The whole house, it's like a bomb has just hit. There's a, there's a hole in the floor. It's, you know, it's, it's bad. Um, so, yeah, do what you can because the last thing you want is, is any sort of regret. Um, yeah. I mean, what, what advice would you give there, Marekko? Hello, Marekko. Ah. Maybe Morocco has has left the building, um, so that leaves just me. Um, but I'd say, yeah, I mean, what you said, putting some sheet steel down would would probably be a great idea. Um, or yeah, yeah, that. Or you you can get those, you know, those those heat proof panels that you can, you can put like f- panels that you can put on the floor and you, you know put them together. There's little squares, um, but just just do something um, because the last thing you want is regret. Okay, 
it's just me. It's just me. Me on my own. Let's talk cut. No, let's not talk cocks. Simple Works has um, has also sent us a message. Hey guys, could you please share some tips on fitting guards for hidden tang knives? Uh, no, I don't do that. Um, Sean Wilson, hey man, can I ask you a question? Not really that important, but I was wondering, is there a right way to do Damascus layer count? No, I don't do that. Bro D again. Hey fellas, recently bought a plunge pattern, got my grinder. What are your thoughts on it? Uh, a plunge pattern, sorry. Um, does it replace hand sanding or assist uh, never used one I don't know blades by Johnny hey guys I have a question 8 inch Damascus chef knife how thick I've never done Damascus um, there's a theme happening here and I miss my co- I miss my co-hosts <laughs> um, I think I can call it a day anyway we're what hour and 20 minutes in I can call it a day um, Mareko if you listen back off oh, you can hear me I don't even know if you can hear me um Every now and again, you know what it is? Every now and again, we get plagued by these these technical issues, and it's just a real, real pain. And when there's three of us, it's never normally too bad because, you know, two can sort of take over and handle it. Um, when it's just me, it gets pretty difficult. Um, so anyway, we'll be, be back. We'll be, 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 be back next week. Uh, hopefully all three of us, myself, Morocco, and Jeff. Until then, have a good one. Bye for now. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.